Hello, this is Tom Williams, and you are listening to Talk Theater in Chicago's Interview Podcast. My guest this week is a man who's been around Chicago theater for a number of years. He is Richard Friedman. Hello, Richard. Hi, Tom. Tell us what you're doing now. I understand you're managing director and have been for a while at uh, Theater at the Center in Munster. It's true. I'm entering my sixth month here in Munster, Indiana, Theater at the Center, where we do five main stage shows a year and various other things. And uh, as you probably know, we we do four out of five shows, usually a musical, sometimes a big classic musical, sometimes a little quirky or offbeat musicals also. Yes, you do. And, and you're teamed up now with the legendary Bill Palenzi. No doubt about it. I, I love working with Bill. <laughs> He's got so many great stories to tell from his days at Candlelight, and uh, he just knows everything about showbiz. Yeah, he sure does, and I, I've had him on this podcast, and I'll probably get him again because you say hello to Bill, and he's good for an hour or two. <laughs> he just keeps going, yeah. Yeah, and he's got great stories. All right, tell us now, there's a lot of people don't know what a managing director does. You know, they're they're familiar with artistic directors, but uh, you guys are the, are the, the I would say, the, si- the silent giants of theater. <laughs> thank, thank you. Actually, I'm only 5'11", but... Uh... It's uh, the managing director, in my case, they call it the general manager, is responsible for what, in a commercial theater setting, the producer would do. That means you make sure that you have the economic resources to do the show, you make sure that people find out about the show, and that you sell tickets. Um, My job's a little diverse in that I'm also the de facto production manager, meaning making sure all the technical elements come together, that we hire the designers and get them situated the way they need to. Uh, and because of our particular situation, I don't do that much fundraising, but traditionally in a not-for-profit theater like ours, the managing director position is also in charge of all the fundraising, making sure grants get written and that fundraisers get held. And I do a little bit of that, but it's not my primary responsibility here in Munster. Right. Well, you, it sounds like you do everything but to mop the floors. Uh, only when there's blood. <laughs> <laughs> I once did a show at Organic Theater, and it was the Curious Theater branch, avant-garde, very interesting people. But they didn't seem to understand that we had just put new carpet in this greenhouse theater space at Organic, and that a large quantity of stage blood on the carpet was not a good idea. <laughs> So I've dealt with those kinds of things too. <laughs> so uh, you, you've been you're new at theater at the center, but before that, you had a marvelous uh, run at uh, Northlight Theater. Tell us about that. Nine years when I came to Northlight, they were performing in the old Cornet Movie Theater in Evanston. Yeah, I remember that place. It was an inhospitable space for live theater. It was cold in the winter and hot in the summer. Uh, we once had a show, we were doing a show called Blues in the Night, which featured three wonderful singers who were women clad mostly in lingerie. And I got a call from the stage manager saying, the actresses don't want to get on because there are icicles in the dressing room. <laughs> and so I had to go to the theater, convince them that they should do the second show, but because they were likely have their voices strained, that we would cancel the next show Sunday. And so I spent time on the phone calling people up who were coming to the show saying, oh, there's no show Sunday. The theater's too cold. Uh, so uh, Northlight, we had a lot of challenges. We were only at the Cornet for one season. 
and then we were supposed to move to a new space at National Lewis University, which has an address in Evanston, uh, just over the border. And they had a very nice theater, about 600 seats, and uh, a little more than Northlight maybe needed, but it was going to be totally provided by the theater department of the school. Well, unfortunately, it turns out that the Evanston address was true for the college. This particular building was over the border in Wilmette, and the Wilmette Village Board decided that the zoning for the college was inappropriate for a live professional theater. So then uh, the deal we had made to be the resident theater fell apart. The cornet had been rented to somebody else, and we spent two and a half years as a nomadic company finding spaces all over the city and suburbs to do our shows while trying to retain our subscription base. And subscribers are creatures of habit who would rather go to the same place five times. Yeah, that's they know gotta, where to park, they know where to eat, you know how it is. Yeah, that's got to be impossible, almost impossible to do subscription base and be itinerant at the same time. Yeah, it was. I think our, our base dwindled down to uh, the mid-2000s, uh, and we've been much higher than that. It was a real challenge, but it was kind of fun. I mean, we did one show at North Shore Country Day uh, up in Winnetka. Then we were uh, we co-produced a show with Victory Gardens, which was a world premiere. It was a really kind of interesting show. We did a couple shows renting the old organic where I used to work. And uh, we did, luckily, Northwestern was very supportive of us. And since we were Evanston-based and, you know, they're there, they allowed us to do at least two shows every season at one of their theaters, both of which the ones we used were really nice. Yeah, they have great theaters there. Yeah, the Barber Theater and the Lewis Theater. So we used those, but it was a real challenge, and <laughs> you had to be super creative. And even when we were at the Cornet, we didn't have our office in the same place as a playing space. So uh, there was no place to put people. So we were used to that, having our office away from the producing section, but Luckily, we then fell into the situation where, uh, uh, with National Lewis University, we actually had to go to court because they had broken our agreement when the zoning was deemed not appropriate, and we won a significant judgment, um, which kept the theater alive at a time when, you know, we were having trouble making payroll, and uh, we won over $300,000 after going to arbitration. And uh, so it was a real roller coaster ride at Northlight. Those first three years, it really was touch and go if we could keep it over. We'd go to board meetings, and uh, someone would say, I don't think we should send out the subscription renewals. We can't guarantee that we're going to have a season next year. And I said, well, if you don't send them out, I can guarantee you won't have a season yeah. <laughs> because there won't be any money. So, uh, But we had a really good board, and they hung in there, and uh, then we had the opportunity to move to Skokie to the North Shore Center for the Performing Arts, where they had built a very nice theater, but it was too big for Northlight. It was the uh, theater they used there, the 800 or so seat proscenium theater. And uh, we said, we'd love to be the resident theater company here, but we need our own space. And they had a separate room, which was supposed to be convention, banquet space, uh, affiliated with the hotel next door. So what we had to do was raise a little over $2 million so we could customize that space and build a theater. And uh, Russ Vandenberg was the artistic director. He really wanted a thrust theater. So we designed a thrust theater with John Morris, the theater architect. And um, 
Luckily, Skokie started construction without us having to write them a check. <laughs> wow. We just had, we had to raise the money while they were building the theater. But that's that's some faith to you guys. That's rare. I, yes. They, well, we had some really good board leadership and people who were not going to fail in the effort to raise the money. So uh, they did it, and uh, once we opened the theater and uh, came up with a sort of more aggressive marketing strategy, we eventually got to 9,000 subscribers. And so we went from the depths of no audience, making them travel all over the city and suburbs to see our shows, to one space that people liked, easy to get to, comfortable. But even that had its challenges. We had uh, built the theater, and we opened the theater and did our first show. And uh, unfortunately, all the patrons said, these seats are too narrow. <laughs> we don't like the seats, and no one's going to buy five evenings of entertainment if they're not comfortable. Yeah, that's true. So we took the seats out. Uh, we did one show, uh, Anna DeVere Smith's Fires in the Mirror, I think it was, on folding chairs. Uh, maybe they were padded, but they were still folding chairs. <laughs> and redid the seats. It turns out the armrests were way too wide. And that was cutting down on the seats, so we, you know, spent the money we had to spend and reinstalled the seats uh, for the third show of the season there. And uh, <laughs> Isn't it was always fun. It's amazing how many theaters make that mistake. Uh, I know the Goodman in the Owen at the Goodman, they replaced all the seats because they were just so uncomfortable. Oh, uh, I didn't know about that. Yeah, yeah, they did. And and uh, I know other, I know a few other places I won't name that, that I just hate going there because it's so uncomfortable. And, and you would think that everyone would think of that, but I guess there's so many factors when you're building a new theater that sometimes you forget a basic thing like uh, comfortable seats. Yeah, and uh, let's face it, most of the theaters uh, have an, an aging audience, and uh, comfort's very important. Both that and handicapped accessibility is uh, more and more important. Uh, so, yeah, so when you blow it, the best thing to do is admit it and fix it. <laughs> wow, but, but what a training ground for you. I mean, you just the story you told me is is amazing. I I, I respect more and more uh, that that you and through your leadership that Northlight survived. A lot of theater companies would have bit the dust early in that year's story. <laughs> yeah, probably so, but uh, you know, it was it was worth it. Uh, we got to a good home. Uh, we made a change in artistic leadership and uh, sort of found a niche that Northlight was comfortable in and, uh, you know, did some incredible shows, uh, including some world premieres and, you know, some real risky things that uh, if you have a loyal audience, you can do. If you're all dependent on single tickets, you really can't. Yeah. So, just, um, so you know, building a base is... And I, I assume that's what you're doing at uh, Theater at the Center. We're working really hard to get more people to know about it. You know, for a lot of people, we're this undiscovered gem. That if they came here, they'd see it's a comfortable space, that uh, the quality of the talent and the musicians that we use is top-notch, as good as anywhere in the city, yet... It's not a corner of uh, the Chicago area known for great cultural activities. Well, you know, I tell people, not only in my reviews, but uh, uh, when I see them, I say, I'm going to Munster, I'm going to Theater at the Center. They go, Munster, Indiana. They, 
you know, the connotation that it's so far. But these same people go to Marriott Theater in Lincolnshire, and from the center of Chicago, Munster is closer. Much closer. You're yeah. right. I was just at Marriott. Yeah. I saw their new uh, world premiere. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it took me about 45 minutes from my house, and I can get to Munster, and I live on the north side. I can get to Munster in the same amount of time. Yeah, and uh, since they, uh, there was a, some problems with when they were rebuilding the Dan Ryan and all the highways, but that's all done now, and we shoot down there to, to Munster in, I don't know, 35 minutes from the city. You know, it's it, it's a it's a quick ride. Yeah, yeah. It's, so, it's easy but that's one of your challenges, which obviously you're up to challenges, is is getting the word out. Uh, with I mean, people that know Bill Polinsky on the South Side, they know from his candlelight days the kind of shows he puts together. But but building that subscription base, uh, how how far along are you on that? Well, right now we're at about forty five hundred. Okay. Uh, the goal for next season is we'll take incremental steps just to get to 5,000. Uh, it's, it's going to take some things that people don't like to do, but you have to do them. And that means getting on the phones and calling people up and not waiting for them to call you. <laughs> so we're going to do that. We're going to have, you know, a small phone operation to, you know, we won't be making cold calls. There will be people who have already been here. Say, hey, don't you think you'd like to be here five times? Um, the shows, uh, Bill's great at programming. Uh, if he had his brothers in unlimited resources, we'd do nothing but great, the great big musicals, but, uh, that's just hard to afford. Yeah, I know he, I, I always kid him and I say, how do you get away with so many big musicals? Cause I know, you know, budgets. It's all the theaters. If you do two or three big musicals, you gotta do a couple of small ones to sort of even out the cost, right? That's true, yeah. So next season we're doing uh, the big musical will be Forty Second Street. Then we're doing the mid-size with uh, Little Shop of Horrors, and Stacy Plaster, just directed the Wiz, will be doing that. You know, Stacey, she is a master at taking what I call mediocre musicals or burned-out music. You know, things <laughs> we've seen too many times, like Superstar and so forth, and really making them fresh. I mean, her her production of the of the Wiz was was terrific. Yeah, no, I I loved it. I saw it about six times, of course. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you. I think she she knows how to she knows how to tell the story and also be flashy when it's time to be flashy and quiet when it's time to be quiet and get to the heart of the emotion. Yeah, and that's what moves people about the theater is the storytelling. And well, that's and you what have Bill's strength is. Yeah, well, Bill's strength also I think is is uh, doing the classic musicals the way they were. As close as they could to the to the original production, he doesn't reinvent them. Right. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't do Forty Second Street on motorcycles or. You know, <laughs> That's true. It's not in his DNA. Yeah. He respects the material so much. Yeah. Uh, now coming up, you have Guys and Dolls. That's my favorite. Yeah, it's one of my favorites too. And and what's cool about it is Marriott did it not too long ago, but Bill's uh, you totally different cast. Yeah, we had an opportunity to hire some of the Marriott people who were great, but uh, Bill had sort of a different take on it. Uh, the man who's playing Sky Masterson, Rob Hunt, he's got a, a huge operatic voice. Um, he was on the road for years and years in the national tour of Les Mis. And uh, he's, he's great. And um, we found this woman who actually lives in New York. She came in, she was doing a show in Ohio, like a summer stock kind of show. 
came in for the auditions, and we said, wow, you know, this is our Sarah. Uh, and uh, we've got a lot of veterans who, you know, our our patrons will know and Chicago theaters will know. People yeah, Bill's very work. loyal to, to a lot of key people, and, and most of us appreciate that. But he couldn't find a spot in this for Dale Benson. <laughs> That's his favorite. If yeah. he could, he'd put Dale Benson as Patsy Cline next season. <laughs> well, uh, Dale just just did a great job at the, at Light Opera. Oh yeah, I heard yeah. it was really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, I mean, he's great at everything. But yeah, no, Bill is very loyal, and it's amazing how many people tell you, "Yeah, my first union show was with Bill Polinsky at Candlelight." You know, he's a mentor to people. Okay, and, then at Christmas time at, at Theater at the Center, mm-hmm. you have a show that I'm not too familiar with. Uh, Another uh, Night Before Christmas? Yeah. It's with a, uh, two top, top people? Yeah, Dan, Don Forston and Alice Resnick, and uh, they're terrific, obviously. They always are. Um, it's a play about a woman who meets a guy inadvertently, uh, we think, and he seems like he's borderline homeless, not too attached, not too employed. And um, she comes home later, and he's found a way into her apartment. He claims he came down the chimney. <laughs> she thinks he broke into her house. And uh, he's trying to convince her that he is the real Santa Claus. And she thinks he's, you know, a refugee from a mental institution. Uh, so it's funny. And uh, there's some really fun songs that they both sing. And uh, so it's a musical, but it's... It's really kind of a story-heavy musical in the way that... Is it a two-person show? Yeah, just Alice and Dan and Don Forston, that's it. Well, they're two two top pros. And that's one I've not seen, so I'm looking forward to thinking. Yeah, Sean Grennan wrote it, and yeah, uh, Leah Akimoto did the music. And uh, Sean then did a play that we're doing, the Chicago premiere next season, called Making God Laugh. Yeah, you got to tell me a little about it. And thank, thank God, a, a Christmas show I haven't seen. Us reviewers, we go <laughs> yeah, crazy. It's hard what? to find. Yeah, yeah it's, seeing the it's same. Not another wonderful life, yeah. Christmas story, or yeah. <laughs> or of course it's the Christmas show. Uh, yeah, it's a brand new Christmas show, and it's only been done a couple places, so that'll be good. And then then we go to Patsy Klein, and we have Michelle Duffy, who is uh, a wonderful singer. Yeah. Uh, I used to work with Michelle when she was in Chicago at Northlight. She did that Blues in the Night show I was talking that's about. That's right. That's right. And uh, Quilters was the other show she did there. So Brian Russell, who directed Patsy Cline when I was at Northlight, who was so successful that we turned it into a commercial producer, uh, myself and Rob Colson, and we produced it, and it ran at the Apollo for over a year. And in fact, um, when we opened it at Apollo, Hollis Resnick played Patsy Cline. Oh. So, uh, and uh, now we've got Michelle Heidi Duffy. Kellering played it a number of years she ago. She played it here. Yeah, yeah there. At the center, when, uh, yeah. yeah, she played it yeah. there. Yeah. So um, That's a great show. And again, that's another show. That a lot of the young, say twenty-five to thirties people don't know because it hasn't been done in a while. Yeah, yeah, and this will be, you know, great cast. You know, Snow plays the fan uh, named Louise Caesar. It's based on a real story, and then uh, Michelle will be singing her heart out. Twenty-seven famous Patsy Cline songs, and they're they're all great songs. I mean, who doesn't know those? Some of the greatest Torch songs ever. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah, it's yeah. Well, since I produced the show, obviously I've seen that one about 12 times myself. Uh, so anyway, I think it's a good kickoff. And usually here, the philosophy was in the, in the winter's plot, it's not going to be very successful. So 
So let's do a great play that maybe some of our people will like, but we don't expect it to sell a lot of tickets. And I said, no, let's start with a show people want to see. <laughs> yeah, so, you know something that's got that name recognition and and start with some. Well, you have a you have a a little bit more conservative, a little bit more blue collar audience. I think that's true. Yeah, yeah. as I get to know them, I think that's true. Yeah, and it and it isn't like the North Shore Chicago audience. It's, yeah, it's a different. It's true. But uh, I've noticed when I go out there that that uh, although they don't you know may not be the most sophisticated audience, they really appreciate. Uh, good production values, and they're willing to go along. You know, the, mm-hmm. like the Wiz was a was a challenge for, for that audience, but I think they they really really took to it. You know, it was surprising to a lot of the staff members. They were worried about it. Uh, and yeah, it wasn't a box office smash, but our regular people they'd come out every show and say, "I really had a great time." I they had to drag me to this. I didn't know the title or I'd seen the bad movie of it. And well, then the they movie saw the was show. just yeah, so it was a bad. Joke. Yeah. Diana Ross is way too old for Dorothy. Plus, they deliberately, you know, shot it out of focus because she was too old. They <laughs> yeah, did. Cause, well, yeah, yeah, Motown Records guy bankrolled it, and that was her guy, Barry Gordy. Yeah. And uh, she sort of had artistic control over it. So I didn't even know that detail. Thanks, Tom. Yeah. But yeah, it was it was a disaster. But uh, when I, uh, you know, I'm talking about the elderly groups who come in. You know, people are over over sixty years old, and they come in and they leave saying, "That was great. Where'd you get such a great well, you know, talented cast?" It was the cast, and it was Stacy Flasher's. Uh, she made us love the people. She gave them heart. I've seen productions where all they scream and holler and run around, and it's like you could care less about any of them. But this one, you love Dorothy and the Tin Man and all that, and that, and that's a tribute to the power of live theater and the guts that you guys are showing to um, get your audience to stretch. Oh, yeah, I'm really glad we did the show. I, it really, And it got a lot of people to this facility who've never been here before, which is the way you get new audiences and the way you expand. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it was great. So tell us about Making God, Making Laugh. God Laugh. I don't That's, know that okay. show, but I can't wait because well, when I'm reading about it. It was done at Peninsula Players up in uh, Door County, Door Wisconsin. County. And... Um, that was the world premiere, so we'll be doing one of the first productions outside of that. And uh, Bill, the police, he's directing. And it's the story of three adult children of a couple who, when we meet them, they're maybe 45, 50. And uh, the kids are early 20s. And over the course of family holidays, which change, it could be Easter, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Every 10 years, we come back to the family and see how the kids are evolving. The parents stay pretty consistent. <laughs> the mom is a very religious, devout Catholic, and, uh, you know, she's so overjoyed that one of the sons had decided to become a priest. So in the first, first scene, we meet him, and he's a, he's a young priest. He's learning the ropes. And, uh, then the, um, the other brother, it's sort of an always looking for an angle scene type of guy. And they make a big deal about the fact that he's just bought a new car. And uh, it's what he calls salmon-colored AMC Pacer. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they keep saying, well, you know, Rich, that, that's really um, pink. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it based a on a very funny line where his sister says, uh, when did you go to work for Mary Kay? <laughs> oh. It was based on a Woody Allen joke, right? Yeah, yeah. If you want to make God laugh, tell him your plan. 
Yes, and I mean, it, to me, that could be both the Old Testament and Woody Allen, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Woody Allen's taking credit for it, I guess. But yeah, that's that's where uh, Sean got it from that joke. So, uh, and that'll be it, playing what in May, I believe. Yeah, playing in May, and uh, we've got three of the people who uh, opened the show in uh, Peninsula, which is Peggy, Peggy, uh, Peggy Roder, Roder. Oh, yeah. Peggy Roder, uh, Joe Faust and uh, Aaron Grennan, who is the playwright's sister. Well, you know, you talk about three top people. Uh, Peggy Roder's better, and Joe Faust is one of the funniest guys ever. Oh, yeah, and his characters are screaming, particularly as you see the fashions change. <laughs> it's a lot of good side gags in the show, too. Well, and, that's great. Yeah, and so it's going to be a lot of fun, and we've got Craig Slidell who's playing the dad. Oh, great, uh, great. Craig was a show that just reminds me of the way it, Sort of gets you to laugh while also bringing up some some serious stuff. It's uh, over the tavern, which uh, Bill uh, Polinsky uh, directed when I was at Northlight. Yeah, you and you helped, or you took gave that show legs. Yeah, that went to the Mercury and ran for a long time. And that that would be the master plan for this show, is if we can get it to commercial production in the city. And uh, well, well, we've often said that on some of the productions that they've done, why they just don't take it into the city. You know, and uh, so you guys are thinking ahead on this. It's funny at Northlight. Every time we had a hit show, I think let's move it. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, I did it about five times. <laughs> Probably three of which made money, one of which lost a ton of money, and one of which broke even. <laughs> well, that's not a, that's not bad. <laughs> yeah, it was a pretty good percentage. You know, and you as know. long as you go to different investors for the money losers. <laughs> well, you know, I I found found out after a while that some of the investors. They don't think they're ever going to make money, and they're kind of surprised when they do. They do it because they want to be involved. Well, uh, um, let's see. Tony D'Angelo, yeah. who Libby Mages uh, oh, yeah, I know them, sure. pr- produced um, over the tavern yeah. transfer. See, we planned it ahead of the transfer. So, you know, they had the right. We said, well, we want to do it. Why don't you let us do it? And then if it's a hit, you guys can move it, which is great for producers. They've got a set sure. already built. They've got the costumes. They've got reviews in their pocket, ideally. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a good formula. So, uh, but he said that show recouped its investment in like seven weeks. Wow! <laughs> so are you going to get them involved in yeah, uh, making? Yeah, yeah, we're going to try and do that with yeah. making God laugh with Libby and Tony. So well, they're always. I know they're always looking for a, for a good project. Yeah, yeah. yeah we'll be looking right. forward to that. Then you're going to do Little Shop of Horrors, of yeah, course, right with Stacy so and Forty Second Street. One of my one of my uh, great. Who's directing Forty Second Street? Mr. Polinzi. All right, who's choreographing? Is Stacy going to choreograph? Linda Fortunato. Oh, okay, Linda's going to do it. Yeah. And uh, the challenge there is to equal or top the terrific Rachel Rockwell production that Marriott did not too long ago. Yeah, I didn't get to see it, but I, yeah, I heard good things about it. So yeah, we'll we'll see what we can do. Uh, no casting yet for that one. The other stuff, well, yeah, also Little Shop we haven't cast yet, but we got. Obviously, Patsy Klein and Making God Laugh is almost finished. Good. And then we'll end the season with Plaid Tidings, which is the Christmas version of Forever Plaid. Yep. So yeah, you that's need four a... guys who can sing like the Dickens, and uh, that's all you need. Yeah. <laughs> four great guys. Well, in the interest of time here, we got a few minutes left. Sure. Uh, let's go back to organic theater when you did Bleacher Bums. Yeah. I mean, that that's that's like a... Uh, an icon of early Chicago theater. 1989. This was a revival of the show that they'd done at uh, the old Beacon Street Theater for Organic. 
And Richard Fire was the artistic director at Organic at the time when I was there. And um, he he called Joe Mantegna, who was already a movie TV guy, very well known, and of course the Chicago guy all the way, and said, Joe, we're going to revive the show, and I want you to direct it, and we'll rewrite it for the 1989 Cubs. So we got commercial producers involved. They put up all the money, and um, we did it, and the space was great. Uh, Mary Griswold designed the set that looked like the bleaches. Yeah, I, I saw the show a couple times. It was one of my favorites. It was, well, we got a great cast. We started, we had George Wendt in it, and uh, Dennis Farina uh, later replaced George, and uh, a lot of great Chicago actors like Ron Dean. Remember Ron? Mm-hmm. He's fantastic. Um, um, J.J. Johnson, who was a mammoth regular, great, great actor. Uh, and uh, some other people from the original show, and then a lot of new people, and just kept um, running them through. And it ran for about six, seven months, but the funny thing was, that was the season the Cubs actually made the playoffs. <laughs> so <laughs> here we are at Organic Theater, two blocks from the ballpark, maybe three, and uh, we're doing a show about the Cubs, and the Cubs are winning the um, division. Yeah. So it was, it was a, it was a really exciting and the street was alive all the time. Any chance of bringing that back? Oh, it, it'll always come back. Yeah. It'll always come back. <laughs> it's one of those shows that it might work. At, Cub fan. It might work at Munster too. It might, yeah, because sure. it's such a different. Even though they're kind of White Sox fans, or maybe you could always adjust, you know, the South Side thing. But yeah, yeah, we are sort of a uh, stronghold of Sox, and uh, you know, I, I'm I'm like seventy five percent Sox, twenty five percent Cubs myself. Yeah, it's about right. I live in Wrigleyville, so I tend to hate the the people who go to the games because they just grew up with all the traffic. <laughs> I know, yeah. I, you know, oh well. <laughs> yeah, um, no, but so any that's yeah, no, that's a, that would be a good one. I, I people would love it. But yeah, that was just the first class production all the way. It, it was sure was great talent, and I'm glad you got to see it. So that was a lot of fun. Then um, the big hit we had was after that was. Uh, uh, do the white thing, Aaron Freeman and Rob Colton. You know, I did not see that, and, I, and I've heard so much good about it. Again, it was half improv. Parts of it were improv. Every day, like, we got the Tribune to donate a uh, a Tribune box back when they were on every street corner. So they'd take that day's paper, which the Tribune delivered every day for us, and uh, they'd pull out the paper, and they'd just riff on the headlines. Wow. And it was really funny. And then we devised an ad strategy that we'd take out a big ad in the Tribune, and it would be a mock Tribune page, and we'd change it every week based on what was going on in the news because Aaron and Aaron and Rob would help us write the copies for these ads, and it was it was very inventive, and um, it was so successful that Aaron and Rob this Rob wanted to produce it himself. He now runs the Apollo, so they pulled it out of our theater because we wouldn't give him like you know eighty percent of their gross or something crazy. So you wonder why? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they moved it to they moved it to the old Steppenwolf space. They ran for another year, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the funny thing is, then later Rob and uh, Aaron tried to do a sequel to it, and they did it at the Apollo, and uh, they they couldn't get the magic back. It was just well, one of those shows. Yeah. At that time, it was perfect. Well, there's a lot of improv now, so that that whole concept might be a little dated. Yeah, lot, yeah. So, know, I mean, yeah. we have but a big we improv. Did, scene. We also did Jim Post's uh, show, Galena Rose, and uh, we also would do a thing on Saturday mornings in the uh, greenhouse space at Organic called the Cookie Crumb Club where Jim had written original songs for kids, and we'd get all these toddlers and older kids, and it was just a lot of fun. It was happening because we had two or three theater spaces 
Also, Blair Thomas started Red Moon Theater at Organic. Wow, I didn't realize that. Yeah, he said to Richard Hart, you know, Richard, I want to do a show, and it's going to have huge puppets, 25 feet high. And he said, well, why don't we do it in the rehearsal space across from the Greenhouse Theater so we could squeeze about 45, 50 people in there. It was called You Hold My Heart Between Your Teeth. And it was just astonishing. It was like, I mean, he's amazing. What they've done is just incredible. Well, we're running out of time. Okay. I want to bring in, bring up one more thing. Yep. You're a poet. Uh, I stand accused and convicted, (laughs) yes. You've published a couple of works? Yeah, yeah, a couple of books. Uh, We used to have a small press called the Yellow Press, me and my friends. And uh, we had a, uh, for six years, had a poetry reading series at the Body Politic Theater. Um, Lincoln Avenue, the late great body politic, which mm-hmm. is now, um, I don't know what they call it anymore. It's the Greenhouse Theater. The Greenhouse, okay, they sold, Victory Garden sold it. Yeah, it's the Greenhouse Arts Center. Yeah, yeah, there's a sign up, well, there used to be a sign up there, I mentioned the Yellow Press Poets, that was us, and we try and get internationally famous poets, and sometimes we pair them with younger Chicago-based poets, and every Monday night we'd come in there, and uh, it was great, it was a great scene, and the people who ran the body politic were great, and they'd give us a special, like, 10 bucks a week for free. Wow. So we did that, and then we put out uh, a bunch of individual poetry books and uh, magazines. Our biggest hit was an anthology called 15 Chicago Poets. And we had uh, some of our mentors, like Paul Carroll and Ted Berrigan, and then Gwendolyn Brooks. And, wow. Uh, yeah. It was a great mix of poets, and uh, at the time, no one was sort of putting out a book that Sort of. We didn't say it was definitive. There are a lot of well-known poets who we didn't like their work, so we didn't put them in it. Uh, but we had, you know, we had a real good mix of people from all over the city in terms of the poets. Some of whom moved out of Chicago, uh, you know, after the book came out. Oh, that's <laughs> terrific. Well, so, yeah. So yeah, but I still can write uh, in a pinch, but it's nothing I pursue as a career. Yeah. I don't care if I ever get published or anything like that. It, it is so great to hear somebody, and, and I've been lucky enough to interview a number of you guys who are just so passionate about theater, and you can just hear it and everything you have to say. No matter what, you, it's, it is a unique kind of calling, wouldn't you say? Well, yeah, you know, I spent, let's see, after, after uh, Northlight, we opened up the Lakeshore Theater as a commercial venue, mm-hmm. and I helped get some investors together, but... It was clear it wasn't going to matter. And I produced um, The Guys there, which was a mm-hmm. show. Uh, we, we had Jeremy Piven and Joan yeah. Cusack did it. It was a stage reading, so we could strip in new cast members every week. Daniel Trevanti did it. So that was fun, but, you know, didn't make any money. It was just a good show. And uh, and then I went to the um, General Arts Administration, and finally I'm back running a theater, and it's just I realized this is the most fun job for me because it's changing every day. I get, uh, Bill is great to work with. We share an office here at the theater center. And, uh, you know, it's just fun to listen to his stories and, oh, yeah. and work together. And I get to go to all the auditions and help, you know, decide what gets done. And when we pick the plays for the season, you know, he listens to me and takes me seriously. Good. And, uh, it's, it's just, I realize I'm better there. You know, I spent, uh, two years, uh, kind of fighting cancer and, oh. uh, it sort of gives me, now that I'm healthy, uh, uh, new energy and appreciation for how lucky people are to work in the theater and actually make a living yeah. because of what you said, you know. It's, it's well, keep up the good community. work. We, we, you know, we need creative people with the, you know, with the, the fortitude and the knowledge to just, you know, make it happen. I, I hear 
the basis of your stories are no matter what, we just kept going. And we, we somehow got it done, and that's that's what theater's about, I think. Right. And the other thing is, you're in the arts, so you better have fun. <laughs> They're not paying anyone yeah, enough money I know. to be uh, I agree with you. it, you know? I better enjoy the shows. <laughs> if because you don't have fun, yeah. you're in the wrong business. Yeah, we don't make a lot of money. Well, great. This okay, has been Tom, great. Thanks a lot. Thank you. And, folks, go see a play this week.